you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Podcast. Podcast. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Hello, welcome to the Outstanding Ohioans show. This is episode 24. This is your host, Ron Silico. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing teacher, coach, and author, Matt Kramer, who's the current basketball coach at Milton High School in Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, I did say Atlanta, Georgia, but Matt is a native Ohioan, and he'll always be an Ohioan. And he is also the author of the outstanding book, Best Laid Plans of a High School Basketball Coach CEO. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Ron. Thanks for having me. Um, it's always a, a pleasure to, to talk to someone back in Ohio, and you're right, I always will be in Ohio. And, um, we've been in Georgia for about 18 months, and I still don't say y'all yet, so that means <laughs> I'm still in Ohio. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mentioned Matt's book, and I, I did mess up the title a little bit, but I, I, I know Matt will talk about it. it. It's a wonderful book that he co-authored with another legendary high school basketball coach, Randy Montgomery, and I'm sure he'll tell the story of that partnership. But it's a great book. It's exactly that, detailing how to build a high school program. And there's some twists and turns that you may not expect in the book that I'm sure Matt will talk about at the end. But Matt, for the audience, if you could share, and I know you cover this in the book, but share with the audience where you grew up, who were your, and who were your role models in life? Yeah, I, I grew up in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Uh, my dad is Dan Kramer. Um, he was the head basketball coach at, at my alma mater, Archbishop Hoban High School, where you know he also went to high school. And he never coached me. Um, he, he was out of coaching, um, you know, as far as retiring from that um, before I got to Hoban. But you know, obviously, he was a huge role model in my life. I mean, and I and I do get into that quite a bit in the book. And you know, honestly, basketball has been important to me as far as the game, but um, the game of basketball is, is uh, also kind of a symbol for you know, the relationship that I had with my dad growing up because I grew up in a gym with him, and much of the quality time that we spent together was spent at Hoban High School um, in his practices, after practices, in his coach's office, and um, you know, so I aspired to, to play there my entire life and um, you know, had an opportunity to do that. Um, you know, and, and Hoban was kind of my life. And basketball was kind of my life up until 1987 when I graduated. Um, you know, beyond my dad, as far as as a young man, uh, a young a young kid growing up, uh, my dad. People in, in Ohio recognize his name, Butch Reynolds, uh, who won a, a, a gold medal at the 1992 Olympic Games in the 400 meter relay. Uh, was one of his players, and uh, so Butch, who's actually writing a book right now, and, and he's actually got in contact with me a little bit to, to talk about how, you know, we go about marketing our book. Um, you know, Butch was, was certainly a role model for me growing up, and uh, it, it's been fun to, to kind of stay in contact with him. And, um, you know, all my dad's players really were heroes to me, and, and you know, as, as the little ones, my brother and I both looked up to them, but, you know, certainly uh, Butch was a special case as we went on to watch him play in the Olympics and or, uh, run track in the Olympics and hold a world record in the 400, and they do a lot of amazing things after his graduation. So um, that's just a little bit of the background on those early days. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they were certainly instrumental in my life. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you looked up to your dad. 
what what were some of the core values that you learned from getting getting a really a unique opportunity? A lot of sons don't have the opportunity to watch your father's work. What talk about that opportunity, being up close with it, and what were the values that you learned? Well, you know, really, um, you know, you go to the gym every day, and and I think that when you when you have it, I think every every son, um, you know, idolizes their dad. Um, you know, when your dad's in a leadership position and you see him every single day, you know, leading the guys who are your heroes, you know, obviously your dad then becomes, you know, one of your heroes too. And, you know, the thing that always struck me with my dad uh, when it came to the coaching that he did was how much he cared about his players. And um, that really rubbed off on me. I think that, you know, basketball X's and O's are all great. I mean, you, you can study them. Um, if you're willing to, and, and be a great X and O coach, no matter who you are. But I think that you know, being able to build relationships um, with, with players is, is the unique talent um, and unique skill that makes the, 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 the really good coaches the best coaches. And you know, I, you know, great coach, you know, average coach, whatever the case may be. That's for other people to you know to kind of decide, um, you know, and, and give their opinion of. That's not something that coaches do themselves, but. You know, I, I always admired, uh, you know, the relationships that my dad had with those players. And you wouldn't think that a young kid would recognize that. But, you know, some of my earliest memories as a kid were his teams coming over to our house, you know, on, on game day. And my mom, you know, making pregame meal for him and him sitting down at our dinner table and having dinner with us. Uh, lasagna was usually the, the meal of choice, a lot of carb loading, I guess, uh, you know, back in the <laughs> late 70s and early 80s. But, um, you know, those were the, those are the things that I remember. I mean, I remember certain things about about games, but you know, even as a young person growing up, uh, I remember more of the you know the, the relationship pieces, you know, things like that. And it's been kind of cool because, like I said, I, I stayed in touch with not only some of my teammates back from my high school days, but uh, one of my dad's former players, Keith Gallus, uh, who was on his probably his best team. Uh, he was a senior on that team in 1982. Um, that was you know, made a pretty deep tournament run in the districts over at the Fieldhouse. Uh, moved down here to the Atlanta area before I got down here, and so when I took the job down here at Milton, you know, he reached out and said, "Hey, congratulations!" And I didn't know he was living down here. Um, I was pretty new to the social media scene at the time. <laughs> and he said, "By the way, I live in Roswell." He says, "You need an assistant." And so I've had the opportunity to, you know, one of my dad's former players who I looked up to um, a lot. I mean, Keith was, was was one of those guys that just. You know, he was a good player, but he, he, was, he was heart and soul and had a great passion for the game. Um, you know, he was a guy that I looked up to just from, a, you know, really caring and, and, a, and a really just, you know, wanting to be a great player and, 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 you know, being the guy that my dad really relied on and, you know, admired. Um, to have him on my coaching staff down here was, you know, kind of a thrill. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing for a 45-year-old man to say about, a, you know, another guy in his 40s, but um, it really, really was. So, um, you know, just just – Things like that, you know, things that, that you know, basketball has really been a huge part of our family. And, you know, so, so the guys that I've coached and the guys that I've played with and the guys.
And so we kind of try to build our program around that that family identity. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's been pretty good to you know to me in the, in the places that I've been. I'm going to go off track from my script a little bit, but it reminded me of a story that really touched me in your book. And I apologize if I messed up the name, but I think it was Jared Robinson. who was one of your players that ended up playing football at Michigan. Yeah, Gerald Robinson. Gerald, yeah, Gerald, Gerald. he was at Michigan. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, could you share with the audience that story? Because I thought it was very unique about how he came back to talk to you after he went to Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of those things. It's funny because so many, you know, in coaching, they give coach of the year awards, and you know, don't get me wrong, those are cool. Um, you know, I, I've gotten a few of those. Um, I don't really know where any of those are. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's nice to get them when you get them, but it's not, you know, the real victories in coaching are, is a story like the Jill Robinson story. I mean, I coached that, that kid for one year, and he was a world-class athlete. I mean, this you're talking about a kid that could jump over the moon, um, the knock on him when we, we got him was that he couldn't shoot. And you know, so the first thing I did with him, because I coached against him when I was at Ferros before I moved over to Camp South, was get him in the gym and you know teach him how to shoot a jump shot. He ended up making 50-some three-pointers for us his, uh, his junior year. And he was, uh, you know, he was just a – he had a tremendous junior year for me. And as it turned out, uh, Rich Rodriguez was actually the coach at Michigan at the time, wanted him to, to forego his um, second semester of his senior year and get on campus at Michigan early so he could play spring football. So as the story goes, you know, Gerald comes to me and he says, you know, Coach, I feel like I'm really going to screw you up if I do this, but, you know, Coach Rodriguez wants me on campus for spring football. Um, you know, is that going to mess you up too bad? And, you know, I told him, I think, what any decent coach would tell him, hey, listen, you got to do what is best for Gerald. And if you think that, you know, what's best for you in your life is to leave high school early, if you can swing that with your credits and get on campus and that's going to give you a leg up in Michigan, then you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that was something that he appreciated, and we had built a pretty good relationship. But at first with Gerald, you know, he didn't necessarily like all the things I had to say because he was such a great athlete that he didn't necessarily always have to practice hard, and sometimes he didn't feel like he had to practice at all. And there was a situation before the, you know, the, our first game, the first game that I coached at Camp South, where he missed a, a walkthrough um, on a Saturday morning. And, you know, what Gerald didn't realize with me was is that, you know, walk through short practice, long practice didn't matter. It was important to me. And I felt like it was important for everybody, you know, obviously to be there. And he didn't show up, you know. And then he called me later in that day. And this is kind of where we started to butt heads. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, button heads with a star is where it starts. Um, you know, where that great relationship starts. Because a lot of times they'll, they'll test the water a little bit, especially the new coach. And basically when Gerald finally called me, I told him, listen, you're, you're not going to play in the first game, even if it means we lose. And he thought I was kidding, you know. And when I asked him, you know, well, what would normally happen if you missed a practice like last year when I wasn't here? He said, well, you know, maybe I wouldn't start. And I said, well, yeah, you're not going to start and you're not going to play. <laughs> and as the story went, you know, we, we lost our first game. And it was a game we would have never lost had he played in retrospect. But the fact of the matter is, is that him sitting down, um, it didn't just send a message to him, but it was one of those things that, you know, kind of just set a tone for the whole program. You know, listen, we're in this together. And everybody has to be on the same page, including our best player. And if he's not, then we can never be the team that we want to be. And apparently that hit home with Gerald because, you know, he had a great year for us. And then he had, he had been gone and off, off of our high school campus for, I don't know how long he'd been gone. It was at Christmas. He'd been out and, and uh, was doing a paper for a freshman. 
questions. Can I ask you a question? He said, yeah, sure. And I just said to him, you know, you only played for me for, for four months, you know, and you had a summer with me, so you knew me for six months as your coach. And you played X number of years for your football coach and you played for other coaches. Why did you choose me? And his response was, coach, you're the first person in my life that ever cared enough about me to tell me no and then stand by it. And I thought that was pretty powerful. Um, you know, I, I think what it, what it says is that, you know, kids want discipline. And they recognize the good ones, especially, that when you, you tell them no and you don't let them have their way, that you're actually, you know, teaching them a work ethic. You're teaching them what commitment means. You're teaching them how to invest in something and care. And I think ultimately that's what he was telling me. Um, and I was, you know, I was as proud of that as, I, as anything that's that any award that I've ever been given. You know what I mean? And I was glad to have a chance to write about it because Gerald stayed in contact with me. Um, you know, and he's he graduated from Michigan. He's now, um, you know, the father of a daughter and married. And um, you know, he's he's actually went to. I think he's been. I'm not sure he went to the combine, but I know he had a pro day. I don't know that he'll be drafted, but he's going to get a trial somewhere, and he may play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And um, you know those are those are just great stories. You know, I mean that's just the you know to me that's one of one of really my favorite um, you know off the court stories that I have. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know it, it's things like that, that that make coaching special. It's a it's it's a you know it's a situation where you have a chance to really influence lives in a positive way. And sometimes you know as the leader you have to do things that are unpopular. You know sometimes being a leader means being unpopular. Share with the audience. You, yeah. You've got you, you've got these great stories in, in terms of your coaching. You talk about you've, you've already talked about how you build the culture, the relate, the family atmosphere, the relationships. Sure, sure. How how has that impacted your teaching, and how has your teaching impacted your coaching? You know what? That's a great question too. Um, it's funny. I took a cell phone away from a kid today in class, in an English class, and. You know, he's a baseball player, you know, and when I took it from him, he kind of looked up at me and like, you know, you can't do this to me. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of a, a self-entitlement moment. And, you know, he kind of gave me a little attitude, which I don't get too much from athletes. So I put the phone on my desk, and then I took the kid out in the hallway, and I, I, I just like you said, it impacts my teaching a lot because now here's an athlete. He's not mine, okay? but he needs to understand that as an athlete, especially at a place like Milton where our baseball team is – nationally ranked most years hmm. and our basketball team is nationally ranked most years and our girls lacrosse team is the number five team in the country and you know we could go on and on and on about this stuff i mean we have kids that are signed one of my basketball players signed to play football at tennessee um I mean, he was one of the most highly recruited, out, recruited outside linebackers in the country his name's corte sap hmm. you know i got a six foot nine basketball player who you know coach Bray from notre dame and coach larinaga from miami and you know, Coach Dawkins from Stanford, and these guys are all filing through our gym to see. I mean, we are in the public eye. And what I'm trying to tell that kid in the hallway, um, very simply, was just that. You know, now he's a freshman playing, you know, baseball at the varsity level as a reserve. But the message to him was, you know, real simple. You know, when you put that Milton M on your chest, you represent that program that you play for and our school 24 hours seven days a week, 365 days a year. And just try to teach them 
to be, that's a responsibility that you have to take pretty seriously. And you can't be disrespectful to anybody, um, but much less a teacher, and then much less a teacher that's a coach. And, you know, the kid understood right away. Um, you know, sometimes kids just kind of get full of the moment, and, you know, I, you know, I, you can't do that to me. I'm a baseball player, I'm a basketball player, and, you know, the coaches at Milton are real good, um, you know, about letting me know when my players slip up in, in ways like that. And we kind of all work together to make sure that you know, we're given that athlete um, an experience, you know, academically, athletically, and teaching them how to be respectful young men so that they grow into respectful adults. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that we can do for kids now in public education in school is not just teach them the concepts, but, but make sure we're, we're trying to teach them the social skills they need and the, and the cooperation and the cooperative, cooperative learning skills they need to be able to go out in the, in the type of job market that we have now because just about every job that is available for anybody coming out of school, you have to be able to work with other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's important to set a classroom structure like that just like I think it's important to set, you know, a, a structure in our gym to where we have shared goals and, and common goals and learn selflessness and learn how to respect each other and work for each other and be able to sacrifice for each other. So uh, I still really like the teaching part as well. I'm glad you asked that question because after 22 years, you know, I still enjoy getting in there and teaching the English because, you know, it's, it's a different, obviously, forum to, to, um, to influence lives, but, you know, it's a, it's a good equilibrium that it kind of, sets there between the basketball and the competitiveness of that um, and, and a more laid-back environment where I guess everybody can win every day as long as everybody's working hard. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you talk about getting real-world skills. I, I, I teach a couple classes at Miami about uh-huh. about career development, and our topic today, as a matter of fact, was the importance of being able to write well, write with clarity, write with, write with yeah. purpose. And yep. there's there are a lot of students, even at the college level, that I see struggle with that uh, yeah, tremendously. You know, that's, 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 that's a, I mean, I agree with that 100%. I think that's a skill that um, is going to continue to decay as the, you know, the social media continues to grow because there's so many little abbreviations. And, mm-hmm. and half the time I'm talking to these kids and my players text me, I, got, I need a book of translations for their little initials that they put, LOL right. and IDK and SMH and... You know, sometimes I just say, listen, would you just write the words out? You're talking to a 45-year-old guy here, man. I'm not 15. <laughs> but, um, you know, it does. It works on it works on those skills some. But, um, you know, it is what it is. So one of the things that I really try to do, I wanted, one, of the, one of the projects that we're working on in my English class is a year-long project, and I, I call it um, the Freshman Masterpiece. And it's essentially a memoir. And I use my book um, in the process that I went through to, you know, to write and then edit and then work with the publisher to get that book where I want it. Um, and I, I essentially go through the same process with those students, um, albeit on a two- or three-page paper. And it's um, something that they're working on crafting from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and they're going to add a little bit of a research piece to it by, um, you know, getting somebody in, in history that, that um, you know, has done something that, that, that motivates them or is, you know, something that, you know, corresponds to what they're doing. Uh, maybe a song lyric or a part, a piece of a poem, and they're going to learn how to, you know, to document that um, in the paper as research, and you know, make an MLA work cited page, and all those other things, all those other things. Uh, you know, and then ultimately, what, I, what I'm stressing with them at that writing is, is that, you know, really good 
Mm-hmm. You know, I pick up my book, and one of the last things that I did with my book was go through and make sure that the, that the, that the word choice, the diction that I had, was setting the tone, you know, in every, especially every little kind of memoir story or human interest story that I had in the book. And, I mean, I really fought with words for days. Um, and, and then there's, there's a couple little spots in that book still where I wish that I could go in and change a word because I don't like the word that I ended up using. But my publisher eventually said, hey, listen, sometimes it's time to just press send <laughs> and let it go, Matt. You know, it's one of those things. But until you get to the point as a writer where you're obsessed with making it perfect, even though it never will be perfect, then you can't ever really be great. And so what I'm trying to teach these kids um, is, is to take ownership of, of their learning, um, you, you know, and, and forget about the grade, I tell them. You know, you're going to get the A if you put a great effort into this. Forget about that. Be better than an A. Don't be afraid to be great. Um, and then they look at you funny when you say something like that. And then I explain it to them because I say the same thing to my basketball teams sometimes. You know, it, it takes courage to be great. You know, you would say don't be afraid to be great, and it raises their eyebrows like, well, you know, who wouldn't want to be great? And say who didn't want to be great, I said don't be afraid to be great. There's a big difference because it takes courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a lot of perseverance to be great at something, whether it's writing that paper in that ninth grade class or standing up to a team that just hits you with a 10-0 run in the middle of the third quarter. You know, it all kind of lines up and corresponds. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the classroom, I think, is, is um, you know, very similar to the basketball in some ways, even though it's also very different. So it's a, it's a good mix that I have, I feel, in mm-hmm. my life. Right. So you, you, you're back in Ohio. You, you've got... You're obviously very committed to teaching. You've got a successful basketball program that you're developing. Why the heck did you write a book, and how did you find the time to do it? Yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, well, fortunately, my kids were a little bit younger, and, and uh, we had a really nice backyard and a deck that was railed in, and I could do daddy daycare in the summertime, mm. um, you know, especially if one of my players was over with the kids. Um, and spend some time with it. But it took us five years to hammer it out. Um, and it's funny, you know, you asked exactly why. Being an English teacher, it's, it's kind of weird. I mean, I, I, I save a lot of things that I write myself. Um, I do a lot of self, I was doing a lot of self-reflective writing. I didn't necessarily have a diary or a journal or anything, but I would document things and, and try to write it out. Um, you know, page by page and things that I wanted to remember about certain situations so that when they came up again, um, that, I, that I would have something to reference. I've kept every practice schedule that I've ever written every single year that I've been a head coach. And I have practice schedules dating back to when I was a JV coach, literally in, in folders, um, hmm. you know, in, in three ring binders, hard copy, three hole punched in order. Um, if you ask us, you know, if you would ask me, what we were, to, what we did in our 42nd practice um, in 2006 at I could pull the 42nd practice out and show it to you. Um, and I had a lot of good stuff, you know. And one of the things that, obviously, the, the district championship game in 2007 that we just actually had our eight-year anniversary, um, you know, March 10, 2007, um, with that that group of guys. And honestly, as long as I coach, I may never come across a more special group of people um, than, than that group. They were really the kind of the you know the the, the straw that, that that you know broke the back that kind of pushed me to write it because as we were walking out of the field house the night that we won that championship game and we're the, you know it's kind of a cool thing you win a district you, a, a bunch of games have been going on that gym and every time you leave there's usually still people there except for that last night you know you walk out of there and there's no nets left on the rims because you've got them 
whole gym. It's like a scene out of Hoosiers, and you know <laughs> you can hear the janitor kind of shuffle around in the in the, in the upper deck. They're sweeping things up. My assistant coach Tim Vick, you know, actually said to me, "Man, he goes, you, you should have written a book about this game. You know, this 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 would you could have sold a million copies. He said, this is the most amazing turnaround in the history of high school sports here in Stark County, and it it, it, it very it very well may have been um, one of because we had been to doormat in Stark County um, just two years prior. We started 0 and 12, mm-hmm. and uh, you know when he said that, it dawned on me. I've got a, I've got enough notes on what we've done. Um, to give it a shot, you know, and as I started to, to kind of look when that season ended at the possibility of giving it a shot, I was looking through my folders, and as, as I was a young coach, you know, Randy Montgomery and I, our teams had played each other, and um, his team at Triway the first year I was at Fairless was the number one team. They won the AP State Championship, um, the pole championship in Ohio. They were 20 and 0. They came into our gym on, we were in the middle of playing pretty well my first year. I thought I'd figure the coaching thing out my very first year. I was like, all right, you know, we got the number one team in the state coming in here and we just won three in a row. We're going to beat them. And they just beat our brains in. I mean, they just beat us in every way you can. Um, and, you know, I, I think I remember I told the reporter afterwards, they just out-programmed us. You know I mean? They, they have a program that's a machine right now. We have a program that we're trying to build. And it's not that we're bad. It's just that they're that good. And that night, I talked to Randy after the game and just, you know, basically told him I've been a fan of his since the day that I played against him when I was in high school. Um, we played them in the 1986 district semis at, at the Fieldhouse. Um, it was his first really great team, and we actually beat them when I was at Hoban uh, before Orville beat us in the district finals. Um, but we had a great conversation after that game, and um, and he killed us. So, like, I, I mean, I, I just was looking to pick his brain a little bit. Well, about a week later, he sent me an email just to see how I was doing, and I asked, I asked him a question about something if I – told you I knew exactly what it was, I'd be lying, but it was some program dynamic question. He shot me back an email that was about a page and a half long, wow. and I, so I was like, I don't have time to read this right now, so I printed it out, and I punched it, and I stuck it in my three-ring binder with my practice schedules, and then I sent him one back, um, you know, asking more questions and maybe add some things to what he said, and then he sent me another one back, and so this correspondence started that way, and it just kept going back and forth for like two or three years, so when I started to type my own ideas, I realized that so many of my own ideas were in some way related to his ideas, and I thought, man, if I'm going to do this book, I should get him on board. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the, of, the, of the interview here, you said another legendary coach, Randy Montgomery, he listen, he's a legendary coach, I'm just a coach. Right now, I've still got a long way to go before I get to legendary. So my first thought was, this guy's become a good friend of mine, and he's, he is a legendary coach. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, um, and he is already in the Wayne County Hall of Fame. And I thought, you know, it would be fun from a learning standpoint just to see if we could do it together. And in worst-case scenario, we don't ever get a book, but, you know, we, we share a lot of ideas back and forth, and I'm definitely going to become a better coach, and there might even be something that I can share with him from you know, some of my experiences. And that's really how it started. You know what I mean? So, so really, um, without even knowing it, I kind of had a good portion of that book, I guess, rough drafted before I sat down to try to organize it. So, you know, I got him on board with it, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. Now, you know, history took another two and a half years to, to get it done, and there was a lot of, you know, back and forth and revision, and we put a soft copy of it out and had a chance to go down and, and uh, kind of pilot it at uh, one of Coach Huggins' um, when he was at West Virginia, he still was at West Virginia, I think it was his second year down there. 
um, you know, sold some copies at cost just to kind of see what the audience was saying about it. And then I took another year after we got the feedback on the, on the first soft release, uh, went back in and, and did some, some changing around, um, added some things that people said they would like more of, cut some things out that I liked a lot, but that people didn't see a whole lot of use for in the book. And, you know, then we went to, to publish and, and put the, the book out that we actually have on the market now in February 2012. So it was a fun process. It took about five years, all told. Hmm. Um, but like I said, a lot of fun. And, um, you know, so I guess the question, you know, to how did you find the time? You know, it, it was done in bits and pieces, bits and pieces. And then the last three months of it, you know, my wife was at home, and I, and I really blitzed it, you know, for, for three good months. Um, and, you know, and spent, you know, that last summer really, really finishing it. So um, it was quite a project, but um, a very rewarding one. And like I said, the, the, the people that it's led me to get to meet and the opportunity it's given me here to coach in Milton um, ultimately has been, you know, something that wouldn't have happened without it. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to dive into the book since we're talking about it. And I paraphrased each of the chapters. So I just yeah. I, what I wanted you to do, if you could, is comment on each. First, sure. the first first chapter was getting started, right? And so, what what exactly could you sum could you summarize that process? Yeah, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, you know, I was a pretty good player in high school. Loved my career. Um, had a lot of fun with it. Uh, you know, don't tell a lot of stories about the actual games. More about the relationships. Uh, but ultimately, I did not have, you know, Coach Huggins to go give me my head coaching job for me. You know, Randy was on Coach Huggins' staff at Walsh. You know, my dad was a head coach, and he was, a, you know, a great reference, obviously, but he was my dad. So, you know, I had to hustle. You know what I mean? I, I had to, you know, to be the guy that was willing to, you know, to take the assistant's job, um, you know, at the eighth grade level with, for almost no pay. Um, one year when I was, you know, in college, um, I, I actually placed the the College of Worcester for Steve Moore, which is, you know, he's the winningest Division Three coach in the country over the course of the last 28 years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was on his first team, actually, and, you know, I was no better than an average player in college, but it was a great experience for me from a learning standpoint. Um, I got hurt in college and, and couldn't play anymore, and uh, it was a, a fractured vertebrae back at the time. There wasn't some of the surgeries there are today to get you back on the court fast enough, and so I decided rather than, you know, take a, a surgery and a lengthy rehab to, to just, you know, kind of kind of get in the brace and, uh, you know, rehab without the surgery and getting the coaching. And I ended up transferring to Mountain Union to finish my degree. And I ended up coaching at Alliance High School uh, for Tom Brabson, who coached and played under Jack Grenells Sr., who's a Ohio Hall of Fame coach, um, made his, his uh, bones at Barberton High School, won a state championship with Carter Scott back in, I think, 1976. So I caught on to a, you know, a pretty good coaching tree right there from the start. And, um, you know, I just was willing to do whatever any staff needed me to do. Coach eighth grade, okay. Um, switched over to, to Cairo Falls High School after I graduated, kind of moved back home, um, graduated in the middle of the year, and assisted Coach Mike Muneer, who had won a state championship at Central Howard with Grady Mateen in the early 1980s. Uh, and then Grady went to Georgetown at first, ended up finishing at Ohio State. Uh, so as another legendary coach, I uh, had an opportunity to work under him, and I worked under him for no pay. He didn't have a job. I walked in his office and I said, listen, I know you've got a full staff. I don't care. Um, I, I got nothing to lose. I'm not making any money at, at, at not coaching. 
So let me coach. You don't have to pay me. Don't pay me anything. I'll do whatever you want to do. And, you know, after a year, if you've got a job, then, then add me to your staff if you like what I do. And if, if not, if you like what I do and you don't have a job still, then, you know, give me good recommendations so I can go get one. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what led me to my first assistant's job at Can South um, as a GME coach. And, you know, we had a ton of success there for seven years while I was a JV coach and assistant. Uh, my JV teams won a ton of games. Who cares? Um, you know, but it was it was a great experience for me, um, you know, to coach good players, and it led me to my first head coaching job. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of the way it happened. I mean, the short version of it. I go in a little more detail in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I really I really had to, I had to work for it. You know what I mean? I had to work for it. I had to be a pest. I had to be persistent. And, you know, when I got my opportunities, I had to be indispensable to the coach that I was working for. Uh, because that's really the job, you know what I mean. When you're the head coach, you've got you've got to be there all the time for your players. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I learned I learned a work ethic mostly because I I didn't have anybody to hand me anything. I didn't have a choice, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's it's uh, you know, kind of made me who I am today. Okay. Next one, could you talk about the interview process? The interview process, um, you know, it's an interesting one before you're a head coach. You know, you've got to prepare. Um, some of the book that, that you see came from the days when I was an assistant coach, and I would write things down um, and just kind of try to simulate the way I would do things if I were the head coach. So when I walked into my interviews prior to having head coaching experience, I could hand the people in the room uh, what I call them the portfolio, and they'd pass it around, and, you know, they would ask me questions off of their list, and then I would leave the copy of the portfolio with them and just encourage them to read as much or as little of that as they wanted. Um, and they don't, I they always had a table of contents the way you could see, you know, what's my philosophy of offense, what's my philosophy of defense, you know, how do academics mix in, what's our off-season program, how am I going to cooperate with other coaches in, in the building? Um, you know, you name it, it was in there. And, you know, one of the, the tricky things is getting that first job because just about every job you see posted and if you start looking in Ohio online, um, the better jobs are going to say head coaching experience preferred. Well, you know, that, that's, tough. that's a tough one to, to overcome when you don't have any. Right. And so I would, I would get into interviews, and it's funny because a lot of the people would tell me, Dan, listen, we – we got we, we took you in this interview because of you know some of your some of your references. You coached with some great coaches, but we really didn't have any thought at all of hiring you know a, a coach with no experience. But we're going to bring you back for a second interview because you've interviewed your way into that. And you know I think that 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 really just comes from being prepared. You know, and I think that the interviewing process with not only what I said but what Coach Montgomery said. You know, go in there and be prepared. You're, you're given a sales pitch. You're selling yourself. You know I mean, you've got to go in there and, first of all, if, you, if you've got to try to be passionate, then don't go interview and find a new career path because if you're not passionate about it, there's no way to hide that. Um, so that part was easy, but, you know, being prepared took a lot of time. You know what I mean? It, it is a sales pitch and it is a presentation. You have, you know, sometimes an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. If it's a third interview, maybe two hours to – let them know exactly what you plan on doing at their school for them for the next eight or ten years. And so you have to be prepared. And so for any young coach, basically, that particular chapter, um, I was encouraging them to, I was encouraging anybody who was reading the book, to start putting that portfolio together because more times than not, you've got to be prepared for opportunity before it knocks. 
And if you're waiting until it knocks to prepare, then it's probably too late. And so that's kind of what that chapter does. Should you always accept a position that is offered? You know, that's that, I, I learned the hard way that the answer to that question is, is no. Um, you know, there are good and bad positions. And I think a lot of it has to do with your own situation. Uh, the mistake that I made when I, when I accepted the job at Kansas South wasn't that Kansas South was a bad job. Um, the mistake that I made was that it was a bad job for me. I had a better program where I was. I mean, we were beating Kansas South. That, that's one of the schools that we had to become better than to win our championship in 2007. We had done that, which is why they reached out to me. Um, you know, the allure of going back there was I still had a lot of friends in that district. My house was in that district, and it would have you know, it was a little bit of a pay raise. Um, you know, not enough to make a life changing difference. And I just didn't, I just didn't weigh out some of the things that I needed to weigh out before I took that job. Um, you know, it just wasn't the right job for me. So, you know, you've got to make sure, and I outlined some variables on, on whether or not to take jobs in there. you got to make sure that, that, you, that you really weigh all those variables. Now, if, you're, if you've never been a head coach, I think you still have to be pretty careful um, because if you take a, a job that where it's just a dead end, I mean, a place where it's lost forever and just not going to support a basketball program, Financially or with administration, they're going to be, you know, impatient. But that's a bad job for anybody. But you can't be quite as picky, um, you know, if you've never been a head coach. If you think that you can, you know, if it sounds like they're going to support your program, no matter how long they've lost, and you see a couple kids there that complain, you don't have any experience. It's probably a pretty good idea to take the job. Mm-hmm. But my situation when I took the Kansas South job was I had a good job. You know, I mean, I fought the fight you need to fight. You know, as far as leadership goes, I had all the things you needed to continue to be successful. So that concludes part one of our three-part interview series with coach and author Mac Kramer. This is episode 25 of the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Please tune in to episodes 26 and 27 to hear parts two and three of the great interview that we had with Coach Kramer. Please don't forget to take the time to provide feedback to me on iTunes or Stitcher on how you like the podcast. Uh, The more you rate, the more you tell me, the more others hear about the podcast. If you also have any ideas about future guests that I should interview, please leave a comment for me as well. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Have a great day.